Play clock at five. Pass is intercepted at the goal line by Malcolm Butler. Unreal. Malcolm Butler, who almost made the phenomenal play that wound up in Percy's arms. There are flags on the field for a celebration. Amazing. Butler, a rookie free agent. Obviously, during three things, we're going to spend most of the time talking about the Super Bowl, and it was a good one. It was a really entertaining one to watch when you didn't have a dog in the fight. Uh, It certainly made the time worthwhile. But before we got to that in the open, I kind of wanted to talk to you about a somewhat trivial part of the game that intrigued me. Okay. Uh, Did you have a little party? Yeah, mostly all family. So your daughter watch a little bit, or she's bouncing around uh, the room, though? I don't even know. She she was at her grandmother's for most of it. I don't even remember if she got there before it ended. Gwen there? Gwen was there. Okay. So. Oh, no, that's right. She was there because Molly saw the halftime show. So, yes, they were both there. Would you have been mad or concerned or confused with what to do as a parent had NBC showed uh, was it Baldwin pooping on the football or pooping? Is that out what it was? I, you know what? I never, I didn't catch it live, but I, I did hear about it. They cut away I, yeah, yeah. so fast from that that you would have thought he pulled his penis out. <laughs> no, I think that celebration is hysterical. Uh, Adam Carolla uh, is not taking credit for it, but he said uh, that there was like he used, he did that on the Man Show like a hundred years ago when that show was on. That was his celebration for some touchdown skit they did. My favorite bit from the Man Show is when they went out to get signatures to end women's, women's suffrage. suffrage. Yeah, uh, but um, Richard Deitch interviewed the director of the Super Bowl for his column. Okay, I saw him tweet about it. I didn't read. Yeah, it. Yeah, and he asked him why he didn't. Sh- they didn't show it, and he said because it wasn't appropriate. He made the decision not to show it. Like. Come on. Yeah, I mean, it's... Why so- can't we just see what happens? But, like, uh, Molly would have been the target audience for something like that. She would have found it hilarious, probably. Like, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess there's an argument to be made that you don't want to show people that run onto the field because... You're like, going to encourage, encourage other people because yeah. then they get on TV or whatever. So if there's no payoff for those people, maybe then why do it? But... No, I don't know. I, I was just talking today about, I mean, this isn't a, a new or original take, but, I mean, they're just so boring. Like, why can't you celebrate however you want to? Like, maybe you shouldn't have Sharpies in your sock yeah, for Yeah, I think, reasons, like, but... taking props onto the field and getting in the face of the opponents sure. are the only things that should be relegated, uh, regulated. Right, but is him pooping the ball out? Is... Should not be a penalty. Right. Yeah, he's not... He said, I guess he made a comment that said, like, the person I that I did that for knows who they are or right. something. So I don't know if someone just thought it'd be Might funny. Might have been Revis, I think. Really? Yeah, well. But I, I don't know. I, 
Yeah. I, I didn't see it live, but I have heard talk about it. Season 5, Episode 4. It's February 3rd, 2015. We didn't get a chance to do a Super Bowl show this year. Because for the second time in, I guess, what, three Super Bowls, I was half dead. Yeah. I had the flu. I don't know if you've gotten the flu shot, down, but I got the flu did, shot yeah. this year. And a lot of people have had this problem where the flu shot blocked two strands of flu, but there's a third one that emerged after the vaccine that obviously the vaccine doesn't cover and is getting people very ill. Yeah, I guess it's a guessing game every year. Cause and I got caught in they, that. They start to make them like the year before or something, and they have to guess which strands. Whatever. I mean, that's a big can of worms as far as what people think about the flu shots and vaccines and stuff. And the flu shot is a, a bust, sort of. <laughs> uh, it is February 3rd, 4th? 3rd. 5th? 3rd, 2015. It's a snowy day here in Buffalo. It's been a tough winter all of a sudden again. Winter came early in November and then sort of took a break for a while, it felt like. But uh, it's back in full force here. Our last show, uh, we had Katie Baker and the two wrestling dudes, uh, Reynolds and Alvarez, who, by the way, weren't very complimentary or nice about our wrestling dude. right? David Shoemaker from Grantland is sort of our wrestling guy. Uh-huh. And I kind of mentioned that a couple times. Not to... Not like a brag kind of a thing, like, hey, we know this wrestling guy. It was more like, hey, this guy that wrote a great wrestling book, we like said this, what do you think? And they really no-sold the guy a couple times. And I, They didn't like his book? Uh, they just no-sold him, like almost like, I have a feeling that the dirt sheet, the inside wrestling writers look down at the guys who cover wrestling for mainstream, mainstream. non-wrestling sites. Well, that's pretty nerdy. Isn't that just the gayest thing? I mean, that's... I'm sorry if I, you're offended by me calling it the gayest. <laughs> uh, Isn't that just the weakest thing? Maybe it's a better word. Yeah, that's not that's not unique to them. That's how people are in their cliques. Like, like you love your thing so much, but that if anybody else loves it, that's not... Loves it quite as much as you, that you, you hate it. You think they're sellouts or fake. Well, speaking of Grantland on the show today, we have Brian Curtis, who's a general sports columnist for Grantland and spent uh, the past week down in Arizona covering the Super Bowl. We're going to talk to him about what went down in Arizona, what the reaction was like in the press box uh, during the interception, uh, what the Marshawn Lynch press conferences were like when you were standing there, uh, what the atmosphere was in Arizona. We're going to talk to him about Grantland a little bit too. Uh, we also have Sean McIndo, do Sean McIndo. That's right. He's got that. a Levy Levy name. He does. It's McIndo. Like I, yeah, that sounds. D O right. is do, not doe like a doe. Correct. Uh, so Sean McIndo is on the show. Down goes Brown, as he would maybe more easily be referred to. Sure. To talk about hockey, and I recorded that yesterday. It's awesome. Uh, really fun interview. I, I said to him, I said. You're a hockey humorist, mm-hmm. and we've had you on the few show the show a few times, and I've noticed there's nothing funny about the interviews, and I'm worried that I'm doing it wrong. You're not facilitating, right? It? Because he's funny, right? Sure. Like his, work his articles are good. Tends yeah. to be funny, but then when he comes into this forum, nothing funny happens. What did he say? Maybe it's in the interview. I'm sure, but uh, he, well. I finished it with saying the good news is today we have the biggest joke in the history of hockey to talk about. <laughs> and uh, so we kind of just got into the Sabres. Okay. Which maybe was a bad joke attempt by me. 
So maybe again, it's not going to be funny. There's a guy. Like, I maybe that was corny. I can't. Say. I can't think of his name, but there was a guy on the Daily Show. Um, he's the guy that does the. He was the PC on the I'm a PC commercials. Oh, do you remember those? Yeah, the, the younger the guy bigger was the guy. Mac. Yeah, yeah, the guy from Ed was the Mac. Right. Yeah. Uh, he was on a a podcast and I was listening to him and he talked about how he grew up as like, he wouldn't call himself a comic, but he was like a humorist. He wrote things and he would occasionally perform them, but he was just reading what he wrote essentially. So maybe that's kind of how, uh, Sean is. Maybe he just likes, maybe he's better in print. Maybe he's a funnier guy in print. Right. Sometimes I think I am. I don't know if that's true, but, uh, I have a question before we go to sure. three things. Yeah. This is going back to the celebration thing, and I was talking about this today with some people, and I'm not sure. Would the icky shuffle be legal today? Because I think it would. I think it would. Why did they make it illegal then? I don't know. They made him run to the sidelines. Yeah, yeah, he had to do it on the sidelines. Yeah. And in almost every way, the NFL is less about fun now. Punishes right. everything, kind of like you just talked about. But that is one thing I think you can get away with. Yeah, he doesn't go down to the ground. He doesn't use the ball as a prop. He doesn't. He's not in the face of anyone. He's not including anyone else. Right. So I think that would be. Le- I mean, Victor Cruz does his salsa dance every time. It's right. It's essentially. I don't know if it was a time constraint thing. It's not like you took all day to do it. Uh, yeah. So I don't understand what what changed there. Like why Icky was such, like a a, vic- a villain then, and now he's he's aw- that commercial is awesome by the way. Yeah, yeah, with the deli. Guns. Yeah. Don't you want to do that every time you're there now? It's just spike my cold. <laughs> yeah. Every single time my number gets called at the deli now, I want to cheer. Get some cold cuts yeah. today. Yeah, that's great. Uh we're going to do something different with the book club. We'll okay. tell you about that during the book club update and uh we'll finish with one last thing. Let's play a game. All right. Count of 3. 1. All righty. I'll kick it off. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. (laughs) This is the funnest night ever! (laughs) Did we just become best friends? Yep! Now let's move on to other business. Alright, for the first thing I have written down on the prep sheet, Super Bowl. What? So, (laughs) (laughs) well... You obviously watched it. You had a party. Did you enjoy the first? Let's let's. How about this? What did you think of the first three quarters of the game? I thought the first half was really good. The third quarter slowed down a little bit, and then the f- finish was phenomenal. Uh, I mean, fourteen, fourteen at halftime. It almost looked like at one point it might be a blowout. Like twice, I thought it was going to be a blowout. Actually. I thought New England was going to run away with it at first because it just seemed like the only thing keeping them from – I mean, they moved the ball at will. Right. They just it, weren't scoring. They weren't scoring. Brady right. threw a pick in the end zone. Uh, and they got up. And then was it 14 unanswered? It was more than that, right? Because Seattle – It was 14 nothing, and then 14-14, 14-14, And then Seattle got up by 9 or 10. Seattle was up 10, and then they were driving again. And I think it was Baldwin who dropped a third down catch that would have put them in scoring range to either go up 31-14 or 27-14. That yeah, was a I big mean, drop. They essentially, I mean, they that was a 24-0 run they went on then. It might have been 7-7, 14-7, 14-14. Okay. No, actually, now that I think about that. But they were up by two, and then I remember thinking at that point, this game's over. Like, this is exactly where Seattle wants you to be. It was be. almost like Seattle had weathered the storm. Right. And then... 
came out in the second half, made the second half adjustments and started to pull away. And then they had that drop and Brady got the ball back and suddenly it was a three-point game with seven minutes left again. Yeah, and I mean, I, sa- I think I even said that out loud. Wow, this this looks over. Like it might even get bad at this point. Uh, and I was dead wrong, I suppose. So, Well, all of the advanced stats people, and you're sort of one of them, say that momentum isn't real, right? Correct. Well, but it's I don't know certainly... what they mean within a game. Though. Okay, I think it's more it's of more a about, season-long yeah, thing. Yeah, I think, I think that's more what it means. Kind of like there's no such thing as a trap game. That refers to like game-to-game. Because it certainly felt like the momentum in this game kind of was swinging back and forth. Sure, yeah. Now, when there was six seconds left in the half, <laughs> what did you think the proper decision to be made was by Pete Carroll? I don't know. I mean, that's that's a gutsy call. Like, seven, eight seconds, I would say that was... I think it was the, six. No, I know. Oh, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Even yeah. one or two more seconds, you could tell your quarterback... Do your three-step drop, throw it, and then we'll kick a field goal if nothing happens. But six is that's a tight that's a tight window. Uh, my dad actually lost. He had his squares on that, and it was like two hundred bucks or something. He lost his squares because they ended up scoring there. But uh, yeah, so that was probably the most rooting interest we had in the entire game. Was just hoping the guy didn't score, but he did. I, I give him a lot of credit for that, uh, and I mean that maybe it's that play that why he decides to call to throw at the end of the game. Yeah, we'll get to that. Yeah. Uh, one thing I was just going to say is I think I killed uh, McCarthy uh, in the NFC Championship game for not playing to win. Oh, man, he, he kicked three field goals, right? Just, from- I mean, kicking field goals less than 20 yards. Terrible. Terrible. And just doing everything you could do to to play that game passively. And, yep. and I think in a game like that against New England and Brady, you have to play to win. And yep. that was Pete Carroll's mindset, and he very aggressively made that call to win and knew that worst-case scenario, if we were to run out of time, I'm still getting the ball to start sure, right. the next half, and I'm just going to drive down and tie it again. Instead, I'm going to put myself in a position where when I get that ball, I can t- drive down and take a lead. And I appreciated that aggressiveness. Now, obviously, you get to the point where uh, the Patriots take the lead, and Seattle drives down pretty efficiently and gets themselves into position. Now, this is what I was saying. So, Marshawn Lynch gets the ball on first down. He runs it to the five, or from the five to the one, mm-hmm. and gets tackled. And I'm saying, call a timeout, New England. Call a timeout. Yep. Call a timeout. And the clock is just ticking and ticking, and they're showing Belichick. Belichick botched that. Who's like, st- Belichick was saved by the interception. Yep. From the biggest story being, why didn't he call a timeout as soon as Marshawn Lynch was tackled? Now, if I were the coach, I would have... And I guess you can't do this. You can't assume they're going to score. But if I was the coach, i let him score on first down. So I save the timeout, give Brady... Because it's only a three-point spread. Right. It's you give not Brady going down seven or... About a, a minute or more. With timeouts. With two timeouts, three timeouts, whatever they had at that point. So I would have let him score... Assume Brady can get into field goal range, which after the kick is like another 35, 45 yards, and then kick the field goal and play for overtime. Now, I was thinking like everyone else, I can't believe they're going to lose to some ridiculous catch again. Again, yeah. Like they did with Tyree. Collinsworth was all over that. Collinsworth was good. Collinsworth was great. And Manningham to some degree as well. Yep. Uh, In the the other Super Bowl, Manningham made a crazy catch on the sideline. 
on the winning drive. But um, when – so I'm saying out loud, call a timeout, call a timeout, call a timeout. And I've seen Seattle spread them. And then I saw Russell move Lynch to the left, and I thought he was going to run a draw. Right. I do think they were guilty of overthinking the call. But I don't think it's the worst call in NFL history because no, I don't based either. on the time on the clock, if they were going to run three plays, one of them was going to have to be a pass because they could only stop it one more time. So they weren't going to be able to run it three more times. Yeah, so if they're going to run four plays, one was going to have to be a throw. But you would like to see them pass last and try to pound in first, I would think. Yeah, so I said least, right away, why third. didn't they run? But um, I don't think it's the worst call ever. I think it's defensible. There's even some advanced stats, and even uh, the guy I follow that's like the king of advanced stats, like at least in Buffalo, like he's the biggest proponent of it. I guess he's Matthew Collar, mm-hmm. a WGR guy. He uh, what? Lynch had five carries from the one and only scored on one of them. Sure, right. There are advanced, sta- but he was even in favor of the run. He said like, there's advanced stats for everything. Sometimes you just gotta. Uh, Take it for it's advanced stats are good over a long period, a large sample size. He's like, this is a one and done type play, and this is also a play that's run at the very end of a Super Bowl, right? Where so that defense is back on their heels, and yeah, Wolferk made a great play if you remember on a third and short early in the game, yep, where he sort of disrupted it, and then the guy came through on block and got Lynch. So, I mean, they had stopped him on short yardage in the first and second quarter. But you, a guy like Marshawn Lynch and Adrian Peterson was like this and other backs, you play the whole game so that in the fourth quarter, when you have a something in one, he's going to win that battle. You're going to win those battles every time. So they overthought it. The play was to run, but it wasn't the worst call in history. No, I'm not going to beat up the call too much. I probably beat it up more initially. But, like, you take a step back. What I will beat up is the explanation because the explanation doesn't make any sense. That we're just trying to waste a down? They said they're trying to waste a down because they wanted to win the game on third or fourth down. Okay, if that's true, you threw us a, you ran a play that would have scored and not wasted the time. Right. So you can't tell me that you were looking to waste time by running a play that doesn't waste any time. I will say this. Pete Carroll, who I don't always love, went out there and fell on that sword. He said that was me. He, unlike the offensive coordinator who decided to throw his wide receiver under and say he should have made a stronger play on the ball, he didn't have a chance to make a better play on the ball. He even know that guy was there. Yeah, that Butler made – I mean, I've heard people made the argument that Butler should have been the MVP of the game because he made such a heady, incredible play. He gave him the truck, I guess. Uh, Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. You know what? I'm an idiot. I saw that the headline that said – Brady gave truck to Butler, and I assume they meant like literally his Butler. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> that makes way more sense. Yeah. Yeah. So look at they overthought it, which yep. happens in the NFL. Yeah, I've heard people, uh, people here in Buffalo. I mean, I hate hearing this stuff, but there's such a loser mentality here that like there's just a hatred for Brady and Belichick because they're good, I guess. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess you can hate them because of the cheating stuff. Yeah, too, but... they can find themselves in situations that make them easy to dislike. Sure, but I think they're more disliked here than just about anywhere. And we're not on their radar. Uh, 
No, they. So, so that's embarrassing, I yeah. think, a little bit. But uh, I think because people hate them so much, there's a lot of. I've heard more than one caller into local talk radio suggest that that was why Belichick didn't take the time out was so that Pete Carroll would be forced to make like a tougher decision and uh, like they tried to credit him with not totally botching that. No, he needed to call a timeout there. Oh yeah, because if you get scored on, you want to have time on the clock to sure. tie it. Yeah, especially when you have a guy like Brady on your sideline there. Yep. But um, listen, it was a good Super Bowl. Uh, in terms of legacy, it's hard to argue now. A guy who's 4-2 and two in the Super Bowl uh, has many times over uh, defeated in head-to-head matchups, his closest competition of his era yep. in Peyton Manning. It's hard to not at least say that Brady has a really strong claim to being the best player in the league. Sure. You can make a case, a good one for Montana, if you're old enough to make a case for Unitas or Otto Graham, you can do that. But Brady is more than now in a position to have a case made for him as the greatest player of all time. And a guy like a lot, Mike Shope, uh, was kind of going on like, "Well, you got to be—it's got to be more than that. You can't just look at that because had Butler not picked that ball off, does that make Brady's game any worse? Because he would have had another loss. Like, does that hurt his legacy?" And I think in a lot of people's eyes, I know Dave, who we love, is a big proponent of legacy. Like to him, Eli, Big Ben, automatic Hall of Famers because they have two Super Bowls, despite not being great, right? I mean, Big Ben's a little bit better. He's going to get in, but yeah, Eli's going to have a tough time. Right. But uh, Luckily, he's a Manning. I looked into Manning versus Brady playoff numbers because I think that's the best comparison because you play in different divisions but once you get to the playoffs the level of competition should be pretty good and Brady's numbers compare pretty favorably to Manning's in the playoffs so and I, I mean I, I think I think those guys are probably the top three uh that shows my age a little bit because there's maybe a guy that was before them and maybe a less quarterback friendly era maybe Steve Young should be in that conversation but his career was pretty short uh but yeah those are my top three probably Brady Montana and Manning. Yeah, and I think the other guys that are before your era are Graham and Unitas. Yeah. Are the guys that are generally named by the older generations as people who should be included in those conversations. And they're more than welcome to make those cases for those players. Did you hear anyone ask Brady if he was going to retire? Yeah, I think he said no. Re- yeah. He said he's got a lot of football. Right? He's, only, he's only one year younger than than Peyton. Right. So uh, Only the one injury, though, really. Yeah. Just kind of the one knee and the one year and full year off, right? So anyway, uh it was uh a good good end to a bad NFL season. Yeah. I mean it was an ugly, ugly year out there for the NFL. And what that means in the end is nothing. Nope, but it's, that's how it, it, I mean. It means nothing. The All Patriots, that stuff is uh, history now. The Deflatriots, Deflategate, whatever you want to call it, Lynch. that disappeared by kickoff. Yeah, yeah, and Marshawn Lynch, Peterson, and Rice. Look and, how likable Marshawn. Not, I mean, not necessarily to me, but people love Marshawn Lynch. Yeah, I think he's an for asshole. the clown act and yeah. stuff like that. You know what? He tries to make it like almost like this poetic. Like you guys are going to write. Whatever, because he kind of came out and finally said something like yeah. day three of the media day, 
And then you watch him like on the Conan O'Brien thing with uh, Rob Gronkowski, and he has no problem talking and like goofing off and stuff like that. So he was working him. I don't know. I think it's. Uh, oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Certain guys just don't want to talk to the media. Ricky Williams was, or that's what I mean, right? Yeah. Yeah. Ricky Williams is like that. Uh, he's he's just weird in that way. People say like they can't get him to shut up at practices and stuff. So I I'm on the fence about it. I I think. There's just no reason to embarrass some of those people that are just... No, the only thing I would say is if you're a reporter... Some of the reporters, as we'll talk about Brian Curtis, are just as guilty. Where is your dignity in asking a guy, why not just walk away from that guy? Well, because, and I brought this up to Brian to see what he thought, because so many of them are just there trying to put themselves in the middle of it. Sure. People are there literally trying to be a big Super Bowl story. Okay. You know, oh, this was the girl who asked Marshawn Lynch this question that got him to say this. You know, so many of them are grandstanding. Right. And those aren't the, like, Peter King isn't that guy. No, no, no. You know, it's these random people who get credentialed for this event and show up on Tuesday in a Kermit the Frog outfit <laughs> to ask questions in media day or whatever. Right, and I... I'm f- I like the pageantry of it. I like the silliness of the. I mean, uh, that's great for Tuesday. Oh yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, but uh, some of the guys were like dancing with some Spanish reporter or something like that. I think that's all silly and it's fun and it makes it not look so serious. The, it's great for Tuesday. The NFL is going to act and like find him like they hate his act, but it was a big story and like. I'm sure the offensive lineman for the team made a bunch of comments that were totally vanilla and boring, but nobody cares because it was vanilla and boring. Football players, I mean, we've had this talk with uh, other guys in the media that we've had on the podcast. I mean, if you look at our guests, they're generally right. We, media members. We buy design. Don't interview many athletes. Because they're boring. They're boring. Because they're trained up to yep. be boring. It's not their fault. I mean, it's uh, Eric Wood does the local radio program here and he's actually a fairly well-spoken guy who will say what's on his mind but even he is like he kind of bashed the buffalo toronto series one year so when they asked him about it again the next year he's like well i gotta watch what i say about this because i kind of got myself in a little bit of trouble last year but that's rare like most guys are so coached up to not say anything interesting that they don't especially in football like the league that is the most cartoony and big and uh in your face has the most boring players. So I I think the NFL is like, oh, we got to find them. We got to say, like, oh, you got to meet your required interview time. But I think they love it behind the scenes. I think they love that he, he's a cartoon character. Well, the second thing, the miserable week or year for the NFL has started in the preseason with some more uh, miserable things. The Falcons are the latest team to draw the ire of the league for supposedly – uh, piping in sound uh, during third down, artificial sound. Oh, really? During third down for the opponents. How something like this gets caught now? Gets caught now is yeah. beyond me. Huh. And the owner of the Falcons is pretty pissed, uh, as the owner of the Patriots was also sure, pretty right. pissed. Which goes to show kind of how much of a joke just Goodell is. You can't actually run and discipline these teams in these leagues when you're they're your bosses. Right. Yeah. There needs to be someone independent that decides the discipline for these teams if they want us to take this shit seriously. What does he do? It's like is there an easier job than to be Goodell? Like you I know the first question 
asked of him at the press conference was made to look like a hard hitting question, but like, what is he going to say? But the guy gets up there and is like, you did something that, uh, in most professions, someone would have resigned or gotten fired. Why don't you think this happened to you? Like, that's the extent of like his punishment for running a joke of a league. He's this essentially year. hired by the owners to make them money, and he makes them billions. Yeah, I guess that's it. That's it. So until for some reason he's not doing that, yep. like I remember we talked about on this show about how right in the midst, in the height of the backlash for Ray Rice, they extended the Directv deal for billions, and that's just the one revenue stream, right? Just the satellite broadcast of out-of-market games draws billions. So, I don't know. But the Falcons are uh, being scrutinized for that. We'll have to see that. Uh, nobody had more fun, apparently, at the Super Bowl than Warren Sapp. <laughs> uh, he got busted with two, not one, but two hookers. And maybe there's a violence piece of that. Well, the NFL Network has apparently terminated his contract. That seems like... He's kind of lived on that edge for a while, though. Yes. Uh, and I, I know a friend of ours over there has talked about him, not in specifics, but not in glowing terms. Well, you know, it's, I can't remember if he did it on the podcast. It's funny not. how just in August, the NFL Network was so proud to have the new Hall of Famer Warren Sapp as part of their team. And yeah. now they're never going to like it's almost going to be like he never worked there now. They're just going to try to distance themselves from that. I think it's like an Anthony Cumia type thing. Like, do you really? Anthony Cumia was fired for the comments he made on Twitter. Which were benign. Right. And he even said, I've, he's been doing the podcast rounds now lately too, and he was talking about how someone's like, was there backlash from fans to no. get you taken off? And he goes, no, <laughs> no, no, there was none. Yeah. No one is clamoring for Warren Sapp to get thrown out, so I think it's just an issue where that he, and he they probably, found an excuse to he get rid probably would have been okay arrested for soliciting prostitutes. Yeah, who cares? But the assault piece, I think, yeah, is what. yeah, that's yeah, that's true. But we have no idea what that is yet, right? I mean, but hey, that's the where they are now. You get there's a sniff of that, and you're disposable. You're going to be disposed. Sure, and I guess rightfully so. Johnny Manziel entered rehab. Yeah, good for him. Yeah, hey, he's got a long way to go. I don't know what his demons are. No, I don't either. I don't know if he is really an addict or an alcoholic or whatever. Or if some PR guy got a hold of him. But um, clearly he needs to do something to save his career from being a punchline. Yeah, I mean, I'm an admitted uh, Pat Kane uh converter maybe right packing grew up yeah i did not like him i was tyler saging front, front of the line absolutely yeah. uh to bash on both of them but they were 18 year old 19 right. year old kids he's the same way he came into the league as a hot-headed joke uh and he's still gonna have to prove he's not but i mean if he's got problems and come out on the other side then people will be there to cheer for him have you been following the aaron hernandez trial at all no they dismissed a juror today uh, for supposedly disclosing evidence. Okay. And people who know about it have been talking about what a mismatch it is in terms of res- representation. That Aaron Hernandez's lawyer is a million times more skilled than the specific prosecutor who's being tasked with trying to 
get a conviction. And remember, similar to OJ, the burden of proof is on the prosecution. And that gets really hard and really difficult when you are outmatched by a more seasoned and skilled and better attorney. Yeah. So keep an eye out. It might not be the slam dunk that maybe we thought it was. Are people going to accuse the Patriots of somehow being involved with it? <laughs> well, the Patriots, I mean, have distanced themselves. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. As much as they could from, yeah, from Aaron. Was... But, yeah, uh, I'm sure if he does get off, you know. He'll never play again. He'll never play again, but uh, Is that I don't know. Me? Yeah, what are we listening to? I don't Anything know. Anything good? I have no idea. Uh, last thing, third thing. Uh, a recent prostitution ring was busted in Greg Anthony, who calls the frozen or the Final Four uh, with Jim Nance, was caught up in that. So he was let go by CBS, and today they named Grant Hill and Bill Rafferty as his replacement to call the Final Four. So Onions, Bill Rafferty, and former Duke player and uh, the guy who made who made from, the from pass. the Onion, the guys from the Onion. No, no, no. He he says Onions. That's like his catchphrase. Oh, okay, I was gonna say. Yeah. He's, he does not work for the Onion. Oh, satirical, okay. Uh, I love the Onion. I was going to say, um, but I, I included this because we needed a third thing, and I wondered: uh, Are you now counting down to the f- final four? The sort of next. Sure. You ready? <laughs> you, you ready? <laughs> oh yeah. Um, real quick, I mean, this in terms of taboo, not as in they're all bad things or anything like that, but. Gay marriage is now legal pretty much everywhere. Should be, yeah. Marijuana is on its way to becoming legal everywhere. Right. Huge Um, success in Colorado. Yeah. Why don't we do the same thing with prostitution? Hmm. What is the problem there? I mean, maybe a women's psychologist group could tell me that it messes with those girls or something like that. But, I mean, it's not like it's not around now. But it's legal in Nevada, right? Yes, it is. Yeah, I mean, there's brothels, legal brothels and stuff like that. Right. In Nevada. So, I mean, they could use that as a case study. I'm just saying these are all things that were taboo at one point that we've come around to and anything to make money nowadays. It is the world's so. oldest profession, they say, that's, right? Yeah, that's the that's the line. So, yeah, I mean. Never had one, seems, personally. No, I haven't either. But it seems, I'd always seems fairly to, victimless. I've always wished I could be in the negotiation, though. Yeah, that seems like love, a strange. I'd love to know, like, sort of how that goes. It's like arbitration with a hockey coach. Actually, or a hockey GM. Jim Norton and Opie and Florentine were talking a lot today about those. This. Have all? I mean, I don't know about Opie. Probably not Opie, but the other two have probably yeah, had prostitutes. And uh, Norton was talking about you know a six thousand dollar month he had. Month. Yeah. And because uh, it was actually because it brought up because of the SAP thing. Oh, okay, and, sure. You know, Jim sort of saying that. You know, what might have happened was they might have started wanting a little bit more money because he's an NFL guy, something they didn't agree right, on. Right. And how he's been in somewhat similar situations and how he just pays because, you know, it's a price of doing that. Sure. Living that lifestyle. But we're way off the rails. Yeah. Let's take a break and come back with uh, Brian Curtis.
Our next guest is from Fort Worth, Dallas, and is a graduate of the University of Texas. He's a writer for Grantland who woke up on Sunday in Mexico, kind of like Jake Taylor with a sombrero over his head and getting obnoxious calls from people pretending to be the Yankees. He's making his third appearance on the podcast today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to the very talented Brian Curtis. What's up, Brian? Such a rousing fight song, isn't it? I'm ready to run through a wall. Uh, that was really exciting. Thank yikes. you for playing that. Yeah, that's a that's a good one. Oh boy, uh, the very first, the very first time you were ever on, I don't know if you remember, was actually uh, a couple of days before uh, OU Texas. A red. I do remember that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, oh yeah, that's my favorite. That was a good one. Um, Kenny Vaccaro is in my doghouse. That guy, <laughs> you know, look at. I have to accept a guy like Kenny Vaccaro. You know, if he's going to be a saint, you know, I gotta, I gotta. I got to move on of my, the grudges I may have held against him. I have to say, all right, you know, welcome to the team, Kenny. And he had a great, great rookie year, and he broke his yeah. ankle. And it was a bummer. I mean, when he got hurt, it was a blow. And we missed him. And all summer, I mean, I was like, oh, Bird and Vaccaro, they're going to be the best safeties. Forget Earl Thomas and whoever is the other guys. And, oh, these guys. And, man, what a bust. He missed six tackles the first game of the year six the first game <laughs> yeah there's a lot of inexplicable things going on with the saints last year oh my god maybe, was, they're, was, or maybe they're explicable and i just don't understand this is a really the, weird year the most joyless season i've ever had as a fan i mean that fans have been it, there was the nothing there if, was, if we remember the pre-drew Brees, john payton saints yeah, oh, I've, been a a fan for, I've been a fan for 30 years. I mean, I haven't missed a game since 1996. I've seen every game they've played. You know, I mean, so that's, you know, what, three or four, you know, seasons under Dicka where they were awful, you know, some bad ones with Haslett. And I mean, I, and that was just the most joyless season. They lost four games, four where they had the lead with a two minute warning. <laughs> that's incredible. That's incredible. Yeah. Um, so it was just a miserable, miserable year. Um, and Kenny Vaccaro is on the, not the top of my hit list, but in the top top ten of guys that I wasn't happy with. But uh, honestly, though, and I was joking a little bit, I do think he's going to be a, a really good safety for them for a long time. And, yeah. Well, I hope so. Yeah. And he's uh, he's dirty. You know, he's got a... He's got a, a really nasty, um, dirty streak to him. And uh, that's one of those things that plays really well when he's on your team. You know, when he's right. not, he's the kind of guy that's like, ugh, I can't, I can't, I, I, I'd imagine he's probably the most hated, you know, Saints player for Falcons fans. But <laughs> yeah, he's like a skinnier Cam Chancellor, right? Yeah. With that same sort yeah. of attitude, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's nasty, nasty, nasty. And, uh, you know, the closer to the line of scrimmage he is, the better he is. Um, he can get lost when he's deep in the field, but, I mean, he hits hard and, and he's nasty and he certainly cares enough, you know, so. There you go. I, I'll, I'll be uh, I'll be pleased with him, I'm sure, in the long term. Listen, you have killed it uh, this, this last couple weeks. Uh, I think I tweeted the one article just – and I wasn't the only one – we talk about this, you know, every couple of, I don't know if it's days or weeks, uh, but every once in a while, there's an article that everyone's tweeting. 
You know, like uh, I'm thinking about over the summer when I was on my honeymoon, actually, everyone was tweeting this Tommy Tomlinson article that he wrote about uh, uh, Jared Lorenzen. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, sure. everyone's tweeting that article. And a couple weeks ago, it was Elway's, uh, Scott, uh, SL Price's piece on Elway. Uh, mm-hmm. Everyone's tweeting that. And this week, it was your piece on Lynch in the media. There was like two days where everyone was tweeting that. I mean, you just killed it. Um, well, that's nice. And I was pumped because I love it when uh, when the guy who's killing it like that is someone that has been really nice to us and has been on the show and has been great. And I was just really excited for you, and I was excited to have you in now that you're home. I know you took a red eye, so thanks again for, for giving me some time today. But why don't you give us a little bit of background about the, the piece that everyone loved and kind of how it came together and um, – and uh, a little bit about uh, about your thoughts on the way Lynch conducted himself in front of the media that week. Well, that was funny because that Wednesday I actually went to the um, I went to both the uh, Patriots and Seahawks hotels. What they do is you know they they, they schedule at the Super Bowl they have media day you know which is this big insane thing that we've now talked about for probably more for than anything else for a week. And then the days after that they have each of the teams. Uh, does interview sessions at their hotel, and I wasn't even really going to write about it, but I thought, well, you know, I want to see this Lynch press conference happen since everyone's been talking about it, right? It's weirdly, the, after Deflategate, it was the story of the Super Bowl. Right. And it was amazing because, like, you know, on TV, uh, TV could capture how funny and Marshawn <laughs> Lynch's responses were, but it couldn't quite convey the fact that people were just, like, yelling at him. You know, reporters were yelling at him. And, you know, within like a couple of feet crowd around him, basically sort of somewhere between yelling and screaming at him half the time or asking like, you know, the worst questions. Or when I was there, some woman, you know, sort of gave up and just started waving at him so that she would wave back at him, wave back at her, I mean. And so, um, you know, I just wanted to convey what it was actually like to be there and then actually talk to the people who were so mad at him to try to kind of find out like uh, why, why, you know, you and I know that like so many this this happens every day in locker rooms. Players don't want to talk to the press, right? Or they get mad, or they get confrontational. This this literally happens all the time. It happened with Russell Westbrook a couple of weeks ago, who seemed really he was actually doing a Marshawn Lynch impression. So I wanted to talk to people who were so mad, so angry, and find out what is it in particular they were angry at. Yeah, and it, let me get, let me ask you this because I was wondering this. Do you find that some people are not? actually that genuine about how mad they are that maybe there's some people grandstanding out there on the media side trying to become a part of the big Super Bowl story of the week or something like that? Oh, sure, yeah. Yeah. You know, they, they I think, resented how much the, how much uh, Lynch had become a story and so they wanted to get, or they kind of admired, right, in a secret way how much Lynch had become a story and they wanted to get in on it, right? I mean, I think the people who are honest about this said, you know, we're getting great, you know, all of us sports writers are getting great stories out of this thing, right? You know, we may be frustrated that Lynch isn't talking to us, but we're all getting great material. We all got good columns out of it. Everyone's reading about it. Everyone wants to talk about it. So, yeah, no, I think they want to get on the act for sure. Yeah. Now, you don't, I mean, you're not bothered by the way Lynch acted, right? Like, I mean, you're sort of on the sign of, like, whatever, right? I mean, there's so much there's so much to write about in the Super Bowl that it was sort of frustrating that we got so bogged down on two of the dumbest things over the course of two weeks. I mean, we spent <laughs> totally. a week talking yeah. about deflated footballs that when they were out of the game, what the score was, what was the score at halftime? Uh, 
17-7 and then it finished 45-7 when the real footballs were in. So, I mean, we waste so much time on that. And then we get – finally, when we get over that, we get totally bogged down in a guy who doesn't want to talk. Yeah, it's like the flight gate took us to Monday. Right. And then Lynch took us from Monday to Super Bowl day to the kickoff, right? Yeah, no, I, I agree. I'm not – I was not offended by it in any possible way. Um, you know, I will add that I would rather – you know, I'm entertained by it. It was really funny. Uh, you know, I'm sitting there watching him, you know, watching somebody say that, say the catchphrase over and over again was really kind of hilarious up close. I mean, as a reporter, I wish he would talk to people. You know, I do wish, you know, that people asked, you know, he would, uh, you know, he would, you know, talk about what he thinks, even if it's only to talk about what his particular beef is with the media. And that's just because I'd like to know more about the guy. You know, it's not because I, you know, demand that he talk to me or to anybody else, but I'd just rather know more than less. So, you know, I totally am not offended by it, but on the same hand, you know, I don't, I don't blame writers who showed up every day and asked him a legitimate question, you know, in hopes that he would answer it. That's how journalism works, right? right? Sometimes you get turned down and you just keep showing up and you hope that somebody will change their mind. He didn't change his mind, so that's okay. So, yeah, no, I did not get the moral outrage at all. You know, an event as big as the Super Bowl, and there's nothing else like it in sports, at least in the United States, obviously. There's some world events that uh, parallel or are, are bigger. Uh, obviously, more people watch the World Cup final worldwide. But, um, you know, it maybe brings out uh, some of the worst, clearly some of the best. We, there's unbelievable writing and pieces done, and, and there's some great things done. But there's also some really bizarre and strange behavior by the media. We talked a little bit about some of the people maybe trying to put themselves in uh, to the, the Lynch story. You, you tweeted about uh, witnessing, uh, I think it was Jim Gray, like wanting to take a selfie with Tom Brady or something bizarre <laughs> like that. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, I mean, do you, did you kind of like over the course of the week take a step back and say like, oh man, like we're doing some great stuff down here as a whole, you know, uh, but man, we're – we're coming off as pretty unprofessional and bad down here too. Did you? Did that totally? Yeah. And it happened. You know, it happened when you have a thousand reporters and reporters in quotes, right? Reporters, uh, you know, guys from random sports radio shows who are going down there to get material and all that stuff. It's going to happen, right? There's going to be great stuff, and then there's just going to be complete embarrassments. You know, when it comes to media day, I'm not sure media day deserves. You know, I'm, I'm sure. I'm pretty sure that media day is getting the the response it deserves from the press, right? If somebody shows up in a, a naked guy shows up in a barrel, which actually happened, by the way, on Tuesday, um, you know, I'm not sure that media is particularly highbrow, so I'm not sure that's like the worst thing in the world. I mean, I don't think that's actually really funny, but, you know, that's just kind of what the Super Bowl is. I mean, I think some of this in a weird way is a reaction to the fact that we, the Super Bowl is so much hype, right? It's hype, 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 and commercialism being shoved down our throats. And so what you do is you get this weird sort of counter-reaction where people are trying to, are, are doing shtick, you know? They're treating it, you know, kind of with this disdain. You know, why should I cover this seriously when you're trying to, you know, you know, throw GMC ads at me all the time and that kind of stuff. So I think there's a little bit of a reaction to that. Maybe it's not that well articulated by the guy in the barrel. But I think that's part of it. So, yeah, you're right. You get some great journalism. And, and you know what? It's really hard to do great journalism at the Super Bowl because every interview you do, you're surrounded by 50 other journalists, right? And there's not a lot of access to the players. You know, they're there, but they're, you know, 
they're trying not to say, you know, the wrong things, quote unquote, and, and trying to be respectful and all that kind of stuff. So it's a tough place to do good journalism. Yeah, and you and it's tough to find a, a fresh angle too. I mean, then there's oh some, for sure, yeah. right? Everything had been talked to death, I and mean, that's one of the funny ironies about Marshawn Lynch, isn't it? You can say nothing by doing the Marshawn Lynch thing, where you literally say nothing, or you can say nothing by doing the Russell Wilson thing, where you come out for fifteen minutes and just do fifteen minutes worth of cliches, right? right. And it seemed, and you you're sitting there reporting like, oh, Russell's really nice guy. You know, this is really great. And then you look at the transcript; he didn't say anything. <laughs> he didn't say anything. This is this. You know, I can quote. I mean, I can have literally have a quote of him talking about his dad, or you know, it's a nice stuff. It's not, not you know, it's not bad stuff. It's just, but it just does. It's just kind of meaningless. It doesn't mean anything at all. What did you think about? And it just comes up talking about how people will say nothing. What did you think about the things people were saying about the way the game ended? It was interesting. It was. Uh, you mean all the. All the, yeah, the talk mean, afterwards about Bevel and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly, and just the way everyone like, you know, there's you know people are, the Seahawks are walking off the field, and someone, I forget who it was exactly, but one of the on-field reporters tweeted about how they were very angry and were you know saying what the effort we do in throwing and things like that, walking off the field, and and then you have you know Pete Carroll who was really <laughs> kind of stand up about the way he handled, and there are all these different. Uh, ways to talk about what went down. And I was just curious about what you observed and what you thought yeah. about how it went down. A few impressions. One was that right after we were sitting in the ends of the press box in that end zone that the play was coming towards, and right after the interception, I heard reporters in the row behind me yelling, no, no, no. Wow. And it wasn't, it wasn't, I don't think they were Seahawks owners, but it was just so shocking, you know, watch uh-huh. the game been like that. I mean, nobody could have picked that right. So there was just this, like, kind of incredibly stunned reaction. And also when I walked in the Seahawks locker room, you know, a loser's locker room after a game like that is always kind of dicey. But after walking in there, you know, players were basically just just under their breath, just loud enough to hear, questioning the call and just talking about how angry they were and stuff like that. You know, it was all barely it was all really just barely contained. And then the media kinda of got in there and everybody, you know, started playing nice and talking about how, you know, how they were just sad they came up short and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, it's really fun. You know, you know, another thing I noticed was that I was actually driving home from the Super Bowl and I turned on the Fox Sports uh, radio show and all the callers were calling in with conspiracy theories about yeah, what had what happened on that last play. That's weird. And you know, the one kind of trickled up today about how it was in uh, a little bit in the media today about how apparently Pete Carroll didn't want Marshawn Lynch to win the MVP or something. This right. was one of the conspiracy theories. Uh-huh. Wanted Wilson to win the MVP. But the other one, and people were calling in radio, national radio shows saying that Pete Carroll was a tool of the Las Vegas casinos oh. to run the game on purpose and stuff like that. Huh. And it's it's kind of an interesting it's kind of an interesting picture of what this little moment we're having now with Roger Goodell and Deflate Gate and things like that. People are just sort of paranoid, you know, about whether things are on the level. And, you know, that's a ridiculous, obviously, that they throw through the game. But I think that there's something going on here right now with sports where people are just very distrustful of, um, of the institution of the NFL and they're distrustful of whether the result they're seeing on the field is a real thing or it's being manipulated with deflated balls or by Goodell or whatever. It's kind of an interesting, kind of a little interesting blip of history right now. You know, honestly, I don't think that Goodell has much credibility and that his office has much credibility at all. And I wonder, I know that, you know, when, you, when you're when you a guy who is basically 
hired to make owners money and you're making them billions and billions of it, it's tough to lose that job. But I can see from a public perception, I know that my perception at times is, is that he runs his office sort of cartoonish. I mean, uh, it's, 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 it's comical. So I can, I can see how that would, would bubble up. But, you know, I also know that when you have a game that is uh, a one point pick em type of game, and I had read earlier in the day, actually, that uh, the money was so even in Vegas that the only way they could lose was like a four nothing Seattle final or something really bizarre <laughs> like that, you know? So, right. so, um, and, uh, you know, and the Marshawn Lynch, I mean, they didn't want him to be MVP, but they were okay with him, like, you know, getting the previous 90 yards and also almost scoring on the play before <laughs> yeah, the pick. Right. 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 The, the, the orders were in to tackle him at the one-yard line, but then <laughs> right. to hold him up so that right. they could throw the interception on the next play. That's... Now, the, it, the Goodell thing is really an interesting thing, too, because I think that was actually one of the highlights of Super Bowl week. I was telling people down there I was actually kind of more excited about the Goodell press con- annual State of the NFL press conference yeah. than I was the actual Super Bowl. But, um, you know, and, and the stuff, you know, you say the word cartoonish, which I think is exactly right. And I also think, you know, like this idea, you know, he stood up there at the podium and said, I'm available almost every day of the year to the media, which strikes everyone in the media as, you know, completely crazy and just not true at all. You know, well, it's just absolutely ridiculous. And he is basically endorsing the charade with Lynch by threatening to find him, yet he declined to be available for the five hour. Uh, NBC pregame show. <laughs> yeah, and like, you know, he he wanted Lynch to talk. I think Richard Sherman, you know, who's I think our best sports media critic in America right now, pointed this out, right, that why should Marshawn Lynch have to talk every day and Roger Goodell doesn't have to talk every day? And to me, like, especially during Super Bowl week, Roger Goodell could have given a daily press conference or had a daily media availability and there would have been no end in questions, right? I don't even mean just questions about his job performance. I mean, like, you know, questions about the business of the league. There were tons of questions about expansion and teams moving at his press conference. Questions about media access. Of course, all stuff like there would have been nothing wrong with him going into an auditorium every day that week and and taking questions from reporters. And he didn't do it. He had no. He had no. They have no interest in doing that. Absolutely no interest. You know, they have interest in protecting him and doing just enough media so that he's not completely absent and completely off the radar. Yeah. And I know that my opinion is a little skewed because I'm never going to forgive him for essentially, you know, essentially knifing a season of Drew Brees' prime uh, on something that is was completely baseless. Uh, and, I mean, I don't see any kind of proof that there was any kind of bounty that was serious enough to suspend our coach for a year and take draft picks away and things like that. So I know I'm biased because I'm very bitter about that. But you remember the you still remember the Joe Vitt era of Saints football? Oh yeah, I I remember uh, <laughs> that and uh, you know and he it wasn't just Joe Vitt because he had a sit out of suspension. So we actually had the Aaron Cromer era beforehand. And if you want to talk a guy you know in over his head. Uh, that would be a great example. So that bothers me obviously, and and there's a real double standard too because. You know, Goodell said very distinctly that I believe this happened, and Peyton can say that he didn't know about it, but that's not an excuse. Well, is he going to hold Belichick to that standard now with uh, with this bouncy gate when the uh, 
when the investigation right. comes down, or is he just going to say, "Hey, this is just a ball boy, and poor Belichick didn't know about it"? So everyone's is that okay? It, you know, so hopefully he he will be consistent there. He won't be. I know he won't be, but um, I I don't know. Like I said, I'm biased, but I think it's a very very tarnished office, and and definitely could use a, a change that we're not going to get because uh, there's you know what, what was it in the middle of the of the Ray Rice and Adrian Peterson time of the season, they're renewing the direct TV contract for the Sunday ticket for billions of dollars. And that's just right. one of, you know, one of eight or nine different billion dollar revenue streams they have for different ways they broadcast their games. So, yeah. And I wrote in that Marshall Lynch piece, you know, about one of the things that made people so mad about Marshall Lynch is that, you know, part of our, part of our jobs, we don't like to talk about as sports editors is that we're giving free advertising to the league. Right. Just by showing up at the Super Bowl and writing all the hype stuff, whether we mean to or not, you know, we're saying watch the Super Bowl, right? Consume not not just watch the Super Bowl, watch all the press conferences on the NFL Network for a week, right? Watch, consume the NFL, and and um, you know, I think one of the funny things I've learned this year, we've all learned, is that even when you cover the NFL and say, hey, you know, there's there are concussions, there are you know really serious some really serious crime issues and crime and punishment issues. That still is free advertising for the NFL. People read that coverage of the Ray Rice, and it just makes people want to watch football even more, right? Yeah. It doesn't detract from it. You know, it's not, you know, I, I don't know, and I don't know how to explain it, but, you know, all this, like, we, you know, we, you talk about Roger Gunn, he's been incredibly damaged this year by all the con- coverage on Rice, and, and, and you talk about the Flake Gate, and all this, the, the still people are still mad about Spygate and the Bounty thing and all this stuff. It, it, it makes people want to watch football more. It has this perverse kind of thing where people just are like, oh, it's more coverage of the NFL. It's something to talk about. It's programming for the NFL network, right? Uh, and it's the strangest thing I've ever seen. It's really, really weird. And, you know, we uh, we always often have this sort of rhetorical question. I think it it uh, it was birthed out of the, the really great blog that Cuban wrote uh, about if there's, a, I always just wonder: Is there a tipping point? Because if you look back a hundred years in sports history, I mean, we're if I had you on a podcast hundred years ago, we're hitting boxing, horse racing, and baseball really hard because those are the three <laughs> biggest and most Absolutely. important sports, and they're not there anymore. To you know, now there's a new top dog, obviously. And uh, those sports are marginalized to big event days. You know, like sure we can all love boxing if Pacquiao and uh, and uh, Mayweather can get together, but otherwise we're not going to pay attention that much. And sure we'll watch the Kentucky Derby, but y- you know what I'm saying. So I always wonder if there's a tipping point, but I think ultimately I know that there probably isn't. I I, I don't know. If there is, we haven't come close to finding it. Right. right? I mean, maybe there. Yeah, I'm with you. Maybe there is, but we're nowhere near it. Yeah. And nothing that's happened this year is, I don't think, brought us any closer to it. The sportscasters are here with Brian Curtis from Grantland. He's at Curtis Beast on Twitter. Uh, you know, I was thinking when I was reading your piece a little bit about, you know, I love Grantland. And uh, so many of the writers in Grantland have been great to us. And I was thinking about you know, someone like Jonah Carey who has a really focused job. He's got to uh, work really hard on his baseball beat and write. And um, uh if I want to reach out to Titus, I know I'm going to be doing a college basketball interview. Uh, sure. Um, uh, uh, Sean McIndoe is on this podcast that you're on. We talked hockey. I knew we were going to be talking hockey. 
every time I think I've had you in, uh, we've talked about something different. It seems like <laughs> you have a really great spot in there where you can kind of, you know, like even on Super Bowl week, uh, Barnwell, who was the one guy from Grantland who was um, was sort of mean and dismissive to me, but he's he writes unbelievable, he does unbelievable work on the site. Uh, he's really um he's really got to be really focused on um that stadium and what happens on that field and and where you get to sort of freelance around there and end up waking up in mexico and and bouncing around <laughs> and you know one day you're writing about people asking questions which i've been so paranoid i'm going to ask you to to one of those questions, even though I don't do that. But I, <laughs> I, I read that column. I'm like, you know, I don't think I asked those questions, but man, I'm going to blow it. And I'm going to ask Brian. One. I'm going to ask him um, to talk I, about I something. Love, I love being a generalist. Yeah. I really do. And to me, it's the most fun job. Talk about, um, being, a, talk about being a generalist. Yeah. Talk about being a generalist. Yeah, talk about being a generalist. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's really fun. I think uh, to dive in and out of stuff, you know, I think I do miss, you know, I love Jonah and I love Bill and all those guys. And I do one, the one thing I miss um, about or I wish that I had about their jobs is just kind of the way a season develops, you know, being there, you know, being, I've been at spring training with Jonah, I've been at the Super Bowl with Bill and I love, you know, them, you know, they have this kind of calendar, right? there's spring training and then, you know, the season starts and then it ends and there's a world series and then there's free agency and that kind of stuff. And there's a kind of seasonal way to go about their jobs. That I don't have because I just do whatever's next. Uh, and occasionally cause I parachute into these events. But, you know, for me, like, you know, sports in a weird way, sports has never been the most interesting part of sports writing for me. You know, it's the stuff around it. It's, you know, different ways of going at it, you know, and sports is just kind of a topic, really. And I love, you know, watching football games. I care about who wins football games and all those kinds of things. But I just, when I sit down to write, I'm generally more interested in other stuff, broader stuff, more, you know, just little things around the edges and of thinking of novel ways to try to, or hopefully novel ways to try to cover things. So it's a lot of fun. It really is. I think the hard part about it is that, Every time I sit down and do something, it's a totally different topic a lot of the time. Right. So I'm just I'm not drawing on a base of knowledge. I'm going to those locker rooms this week. I I never interviewed any of those guys. You know, I never seen most of those guys in person. I think any probably any of those guys in person. So there's a little bit just of a kind of you know feeling like you're always scrambling to try to catch up with people who have been writing about this topic for a long time. You know, or at least all season. Uh, and that's that's like the, the hard part, but it's hardly a downside, and well, I really really enjoy it. And I would think another hard part would maybe be that you don't have this set area to go for ideas. Like you know, when Barnwell has to write a column, all he has to do is wake up on Sunday and watch the games, and he's going to have a column to write. You know, uh, it'll be there no matter what. And uh, there's a little <laughs> tougher, bit tougher than, tougher than it looks, though. Definitely no, no, work. I know, I, and he's great. Believe me, I, I didn't mean that as a put down to him. No, 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 no. Uh, but um, you know, one thing that I was actually asking uh, Sean about uh, when I talked to him yesterday is we were talking about the health of the league, uh, the NHL, mm-hmm. the health of the NHL, and and kind of where he thought it was at this point of the season because uh, they had such a great year last year with the Final Four and the final that they got with LA and New York and sure, um, and. Uh, I was asking him about about if he can take a temperature of the league 
based on numbers at Grantland. And he kind of responded with a with a really liberating response, I'm sure, for, for writers like himself and yourself, of, you know, they, we don't get to look at that stuff because they tell us at Grantland uh, to write not about stuff for clicks but for stuff that we think is going to make great content and be interesting. And we kind of focus on that. And I never really know... Uh, whether my piece about the 89 Sabres got more hits than my <laughs> Sunday mailbag column. And that must be really, really freeing for someone who's a generalist. Because, it's the best thing. Yeah, it's yeah. the best thing in the world. It really is. You know, to sit down and we talk about so many things about journalism now, you know, about how it works and the good parts and bad parts about being sports writer in 2015. And I generally think the, the good parts massively outweigh the bad parts. But the one great part about working there is like every conversation I've ever had and literally 100% has been like, just do we think this is a good thing to write? And if we do, well, great, let's do it. And that's the end of the discussion. You know, never, never, oh, no one's going to want to read this. Or, and I've had, I've had those conversations with a lot of other outlets, uh, for sure. But no one, no one's ever, no one's ever broached that subject with me and say, oh, you know, no one will care about this. Don't write it. So if it's a good story, we care about it and we're going to promote it. And, you know, we think you should go do it. And that's the greatest freedom you could just ever possibly have. Well, if that's the best thing, and you mentioned that you talk about some of the best and worst things about being a sports writer in 2015, what are one of the worst, what is the worst thing or the most challenging thing uh, for you? Um, I don't, know if it's, I don't even know if it counts as well. I mean, I think just the, the you know, when you when you read about, I read about old sports writers a lot, and when you hear about the intimacy that they could have with athletes, you know, mm. you know, the kind of time they could have with them, the kind of way they could get to know them uh, more in the old days, and there, there are various reasons for that, partly because they were really power, they were kind of almost more powerful than the athletes, right? Kind of like Shaq like, and Ali or something like that. I'm picturing. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's that, you know, yeah. and like into the 60s, you know, a lot of times sports writers made a lot more money than the athletes did. Some of them still do. Uh, but, you know, they were the kind of power players in the relationships. They kind of knew the athletes. They drank with them. They went out with them on the road. You know, that, that there's something that would have been fun to be around in that time, I think, and to have kind of, you know, everything not be, every interview not be brokered uh, kind of in the way it is today and to have more of that kind of time and stuff like that. But, you know, really good writers find ways to get around that. And, 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 you know, I, what I wouldn't trade is, you know, the way people had to write for newspapers, right, in those days, which is more Sports Illustrated, you know, there weren't very many outlets. There were the, I should say the, there were certain ways you were expected to write about sports. And now you just look at Grayland or Deadspin or any of the sites and you say, oh, wait, you can just write about it in any possible way you want. And that's also a great freedom. So, again, I think the advantage is massively outweigh the disadvantage. Right. Do you ever, uh, do you ever wonder about, you know, when you go to Grantland, there's such a wide scope. I mean, you can read an article by Katie Baker about Francesa Khan, you know, yeah. followed by a advanced baseball Love stats article by Jonah Carey. Um, yeah. You know, something you did. It's such a wide scope. Do you ever think you lose people because of that instead of gaining people because of that? Do you ever worry that people get lost on the site? Um, do, you, do you guys ever talk about things like that, how you organize things and, and put things together? And, and being a generalist, how you maybe want to pick your spots and make sure that your piece doesn't get lost? I mean, because I can go on there some days and there's like 25 new pieces that day and it's like – <laughs> you know, it's really you know when I when I first had this that feeling was when ESPN.com first started cranking up. 
maybe, you know, a little more than 10 years ago now, but, you know, when you first got, remember when you first got on ESP.com and there was just, like, so much stuff, yeah. you know, it was just like, you know, we're used to, I grew up, you know, reading a newspaper, right, and there were 8, 9, 10, 12 pages of the sports page, and then you were done. You read all the sports news you had for the day. And now all of a sudden, there, you know, I remember looking at that and thinking, oh my gosh, I'm never going to be able to read all this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, but I think that's just the way of the world now, that there are lots and lots of things to read. I think at Grantland, we'll probably publish less than a lot of people, right? You know, we're probably slightly more selective about, you know, or, you know, just bludgeoning you over the head with stuff every day. But I think, you know, to me, that's what it is. You write, you know, you kind of figure that there's going to be someone out there who wants to read all this stuff and they'll find it. And if you do a good job and you work hard, then then they'll find it. Do you ever wonder or worry about what the site might become or be if Bill ever decided to do something else? Not really. I mean, I just, I just, you know, I haven't really thought very hard about it to be honest. You know, I just, I'm more, it's so, I think with every job, you just, you just have to do it in the moment and not worry about things that you can't control. Right. right. And yeah. you just really like if Graylin is, it's just wonderful and I've loved every moment of it. And whenever I'm worried about anything, I just have to remind myself, just enjoy it for every moment that it's going to be. However long that is, if that's a hundred years or whatever, 10 years or five years or whatever that is, just enjoy every moment of it because you know, who knows whether the next job will be even half this fun. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, Brian Curtis writes for Grantland. And you can find his work there. He's at Curtis Beast, which is a great Twitter name, by the way, uh, on Twitter. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. And um, thanks for so much time today. I really appreciate it. I should have asked you before uh, how long was too long. Hopefully this wasn't too much. But thanks for all the time and, and for talking. And uh, really enjoyed all the stuff in Arizona and can't wait to have you on again. It's always my pleasure. Next time we'll, we'll just ask each other to talk about questions, right? And we'll get through the whole, uh, we'll yeah. get the whole show that way. Yeah, so Brian, kind of a, talk kind about of performance this. Art, yeah. Thing. yeah, that'd be great. Brian, talk about, <laughs> talk about making David Shoemaker's career by bringing him to Grantland. Talk about. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> David, David made my career. So you've already, you've already, you've already violated the, uh, the first two all there. <laughs> all right, man. Uh, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Take care. All right. All right, I want to thank uh, I want to thank Brian Curtis for being on the podcast today. Well, it's the first book club update we've done together in months, huh? Yeah, yeah, these have all been wrapped up by the time I got here. I mean, really. usually I just do the update, you read the book, I do the interview. You know, <laughs> exactly. Next thing you know, so. exactly. But uh, we're going to do something different uh, this month because Don doesn't feel like reading a book this month. He's been reading so many recently. He wants a break. Yeah, it was the time. Yeah, and. Uh, there is a documentary called Red Army. It's a Gabe Polsky film. And uh, it's been playing a little bit in Los Angeles and New York. And uh, if you Google Red Army documentary, you get to a website. And you can find a listing of theaters uh, where this will be playing. And there is a Buffalo showing if Don and I wanted to go. And there's all kinds of them all over the country. But what it is is a documentary uh, about the miracle on ice from the uh, Russia perspective. Now on Sunday, there's going to be a different documentary that 30 for 30 did uh, about the same topic. Oh, okay. I'm not exactly sure how they're different yet, uh, but what we're going to do is for the book club book of the month is feature the Red Army Gabe Polsky 
uh, documentary as our book of the month. But it's not a book this time. It's a, a film. And uh, Gabe actually is a Yale hockey player or was a Yale hockey player in a former life. And Ben Ryder, who's been on our show plenty of times, a Sports Illustrated writer and former Yale uh, grad, wrote a story about this in SI. So it's been on my radar, and I thought it might be something cool to do, and I reached out to Gabe, and hopefully we can get a screener of this and check it out. And uh, we'll do it just like we would do a book club. We'll promote it and update it every week and talk about it and talk to you guys about it and uh, eventually have Gabe. So we're going to play the trailer, and uh, then we'll... Talk after that, I guess. In the traditional motion picture story, the villains are usually defeated. The ending is a happy one. I can make no such promise for the picture you're about to watch. I was born in Soviet Union. It was pretty rough. No running water, no toilets. You know, we got the fish only one day a week. It was uh, Thursday. I was a happy kid. I play game, play hockey. Hockey was the most popular sport in the Soviet Union. From childhood, they picked out the best of the best of the best. It was politics, really. The game for them wasn't just the game. It was also propaganda. Cold War passions were running very, very hot. Soviet military forces have invaded Afghanistan. The sport were, in a way, a kind of warfare. Practice four times a day. Parents had to live isolated 11 months of the year. They never get out of that camp. Andrei Kamotov's father was going to die. He came and said, can you let me see my father? I said, no, you have to get ready for the next game. The KGB guys were always there. He was screaming, yelling. You tried to play for our enemies. I send you to Siberia, you never get out. Why are you suffering so much? Why you play for the guy who doesn't respect us as a human being? The people running this country, they were created by the Soviet system. Much of the problems are still anchored in that past. The individual had no say. My childhood dream come true. I cannot run away from my country. We offer you a million dollars cash. Then would you come and play in the NHL? <laughs> All right, now I know some of that. <laughs> uh, the Russian stuff maybe didn't translate great, but yeah, it seems like a great documentary. And uh, we reached out to Gabe, and hopefully we can get him uh, to be a part of this. And uh, hopefully we'll try something different here. And if this works out well and is fun, we actually have some connections to. Uh, some people who made some of the most famous sports documentaries in the history of uh, the, the genre. And maybe we could do a couple more of these. So uh, let us know what you think of the idea. And uh, let's talk about the uh, Red Army film and see where this goes. We're going to take a break and come back with Sean McIndoe. Sean McIndoe of Grantland. Our next guest is based in Ottawa, Ontario, and is the popular hockey humorist at DownGoesBrown.com. He is the lead hockey writer for Grantland, a diehard Maple Leafs fan, and is making his third appearance on the podcast today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Sean McIndoe. What's going on, Sean? How are you doing today, bud? 
Hey, doing pretty good. Thanks for thanks for having me. You know, it's it's interesting when you're talking to someone who's a hockey humorist because I think we've done some pretty good interviews in the past. And I remember one thing I've thought of after is, uh, well, geez, I don't know if that was funny though. I mean, we had a really great uh, talk about hockey, but did I screw that up? Because you know, obviously, this guy on his own is funny, but I don't know if we did anything particularly funny. And then going into this today, I felt pretty safe because I knew I would want to talk to you at least a little bit about the Sabres, and it doesn't get much bigger of a joke than that. So I don't know, maybe a good place to start. Uh, you're far enough away. I mean, what is the what is the hockey world saying about us here in Buffalo? Well, I think, I, I think what the hockey world is saying uh, for the most part is uh, – uh, is that the Buffalo Sabers are uh, strategically um, sort of taking a knee on the season, which is uh, a, a polite way of saying that they're tanking. That, that that's uh, uh, you know we, I, I think we all know uh, uh, a tank when we see it, and clearly the Sabers have, have come into the season and decided uh, that they were going to make sure that they finished dead last and uh, and got themselves uh, one of uh, Connor McDavid or Jack Eichel. And, uh, you know, and, and they've, they've executed on that brilliantly. Clearly they, uh, they managed to build a roster that was, uh, uh, you know, I, I think this team is in the running to, to be considered one of the worst, uh, non-expansion teams that we've ever seen in, in the NHL. So, um, you know, I, I think there's pretty close to unanimous agreement on that where you get some disagreement is some people think that, uh, uh, you know that this is a this is a travesty. The Sabers sh- cannot get away with this. They, they should be ashamed of themselves for for what they're so transparently doing. And then there's um, the other side, and it's the side I find myself on, saying uh, this is the system the NHL has built. The the NHL has built a system that rewards losing and rewards finishing last. And uh, they had an opportunity to, to clean up the draft lottery. They knew this situation was potentially coming. And they didn't bother to do it. They they tweaked it, but they still left it uh, so that there was a very high incentive to finish dead last. And right. um, the centers are, uh, or rather, the Sabers are uh, are just doing what the league has uh, has uh, given them an incentive to do, and they're they're doing it to, um, in a far more over the top way than than probably any other team. So it is a tank. It's it's not the players. It's not the coach. Uh, you know, and nobody's suggesting the players are going out there saying, "Hey guys, let's uh, uh, you know let's miss open nets and." Uh, uh, you know, take take extra penalties and try to lose this game. The the players are doing the best they can. They're just not very good players because the organization's made a uh, strategic decision to to ice as as bad a roster as they possibly could get away with. Yeah, I thought you did a really good job on Grantland, kind of making that point today. It's sort of, it's an or, an organizational thing in the sense that you do you do things like continue to play Mazaros when obviously you could bring up a Pissick from Rochester, you know, or you say no, we're going to develop uh, a guys like. Um, uh, Gregorenko and Armia a bit more in Rochester or you know we're not going to make a coaching change even though you might get a bump from that right now and maybe uh, we didn't find the right coach for this mix those are the kind of things really that make tanking a thing you, you don't you can't actually get professional athletes to go out there and try and ruin their careers yeah no I mean you never would because if I'm a member of the Buffalo Sabres uh, yeah I don't care how good Connor McDivitt is uh, I don't I'm not going to go out there and play poorly so that he can come in and take my job, and then the the next GM who's who's looking at maybe assigning me is sitting there going, "Well, he had lousy stats last year." 
so I'm I'm gonna you know if I'm an NHL player I'm competitive hyper competitive to start with so I'm I'm certainly not gonna uh, you know not gonna go out there and, and lay down for anybody but uh, uh, yeah I mean you look at the Sabers the way that they've been built and and clearly nobody is suggesting that a team like the Sabers at at the position that they are in they they are a rebuilding team nobody's suggesting they should have gone out and traded young players or draft picks to bring in veterans just so that they could finish 10 or 20 points higher in the standings and probably still miss the playoffs. Uh, I don't think that's the suggestion, but uh, certainly, I mean, there there are ways that you can improve in the short term without necessarily uh, doing any damage to yourself in the long term. And, you know, there, there are always free agents out there and guys available and, and you know, the, the Sabres will tell you that they went out and got some of those guys and Brian Gionta, the Josh George, those, those sorts of guys. Um, but whether that was done uh, in a sincere effort to uh, uh, put as good a team as possible on the ice or, or whether those are just guys that uh, maybe help them jump up to the uh, salary floor and uh, make sure that they had, uh, like I said today in, in my post, uh, just, just enough uh, plausible deniability that it wasn't uh, so over the top that somebody at the league would give them a call and say, you know, okay, now now you're turning this into an embarrassment. You know, I... When I was reading your your column, one guy I was thinking about in particular was Molson because I really wonder what GMTM thinks about him because he had the time last year to evaluate him and he did okay here while he was here. Uh, but to bring him back, I, I, I you're never going to get an answer on this, but I always honestly wonder if uh, that was a guy they looked at and said, you know, we can pay him a fair amount of money. Uh, it won't look ridiculous, his contract. and But honestly, I... You know, I wonder if they evaluated him and said, I don't think he could score that many goals without John Tavares or a center like him, and we don't have it, so he's perfect for this team. I mean, that question would never obviously be answered, but he's the kind of a guy that I think of when I was reading your column today thinking, you know, he might be uh, exactly what, what Sean's talking about here. Yeah, and, and he could be potentially, and it is tricky for Tim Murray because, uh, you know, it, it seems pretty clear what he's setting out to do here, and yet... Uh, he does have to worry about this team down the line. He does have to build a team for, for more than just one year. And, right. uh, you know, it's possible that maybe he's looking at a Matt Molson as a guy who's going to stick around for a little while. And, uh, you know, that, that is the tricky part of this, this whole operation because we've seen teams, um, do this, uh, in the sense that we've seen teams be terrible and finish last and get the high draft pick, whether they were, uh, whether they were trying to do that or not. And then, uh, sometimes they were able to, to flip the switch and turn it around very quickly and they're contending within a few years and, and some teams just get stuck there. And that, that's going to be a real challenge at the end of this year when Tim Murray's uh, you know, once he's he's put that jersey on Connor McDavid or Jack Eichel, when he's got his franchise player to build around, uh, he's going to have to actually look at this roster and go, okay, uh, who can we actually move forward with? Uh, uh, you know, even among the, the the guys who are younger and talented that we would want to be part of the future plans, and who has maybe ended up just being so damaged by going through that uh, that ridiculously terrible season that uh, that maybe they're not going to be the sort of player um, that we had hoped they would, and and we've got to move on and uh, and go in a different direction they're going to have a ton of holes to fill right. and uh we've seen a bunch of teams go down this road and and never really uh get out of that uh, uh get out of that basement the oilers being the most obvious one right now um i think tim murray's a real smart guy so if anyone can can pull it off he will but uh, well i think the, the, a luck me. along the way too yeah i think and i think the one nice thing they have going for them is you know we saw how well having Sammy Reinhardt and Connor McDavid down the middle work for Team Canada at the World Juniors. 
you know, and, and that's a really attractive thing, whether it's McDavid or Eichel. Uh, but having a one-two center like that and building a team down the middle is obviously very attractive. You know, it's been so polarizing here. I almost, I'm almost surprised how incredibly uh, divisive this has been. Uh, every night, uh, Mike Harrington versus the fans, and the fans versus Mike Harrington. And we even did it on this show, and it was a lot of fun. We love Mike, and and he was great. Half an hour, we went back and forth. Uh, you know, he's the one who's he's the most outspoken in the Buffalo media, just sort of against this, and and sort of feels disrespected. Uh, I think, or you know, I don't want to speak for Mike, but he's very, very against it. I, I don't think I'm uh, I'm speaking for him in saying that, but it's it's just been so divisive. And the one thing I would say, and I want to move on to something else, so we can talk about something besides, as you said, one of the worst <laughs> uh, post expansion teams uh, ever to go with uh, last year's candidate as well. Uh, also, one of the worst uh, post expansion teams ever, but um. You know, I look at the organization and I see them doing so many winning things. I don't know if you've been here uh, this year at all, but, I mean, it's just so beautiful down there. And they're winning every way off the ice. And um, I just think, man, if these guys can translate what they're doing with the Harbor Center and the arena and the facilities and everything that they've done besides the product on the ice, they could really be uh, a world-class organization in sports for, for years and years. So, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you, you hope so. It's it's, it's certainly uh, it's a market worth worth rooting for, and uh, you guys have certainly paid your dues over the last uh, uh, decade or so with uh, you know some 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 lousy teams and then some real good teams that uh, that, that didn't didn't quite get get you there. So it, it would be nice to see, um, but uh, it is uh, it's 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 certainly uh, you know in a, in a sense the the finishing dead last and getting the number one guy that's the easy part. Um, you know that's something that uh, most uh, most GMs could probably pull off. It's going to be the next chapter that uh, we're really going to uh, kind of find out what that franchise is made of. Right. Uh, you know, uh, being big hockey fans, um, doing a United States nationally based podcast. I mean, we don't our podcast isn't about Buffalo necessarily. It's about sports in the United States and the people who write and cover it. One thing we're always trying to take the temperature of is the success of the league in any given point in every, any given year. And I thought last year they had a great year. So many great things happened for hockey last year. Uh, I think right about this time last year, we, if we had John, we might've been talking about, you know, getting ready for the Olympics and then, you know, talking about what a great morning it was for the United States hockey when uh, TJ Oshie had those, those penalty uh, penalty shot goals against Russia. Where are we right now? It's so hard to see through this tanking stuff here in Buffalo to get a good picture sense. How, what kind of a year has the league had so far? Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough to say, of course, because if you ask Gary Bettman, he'll tell you it's been a wonderful year because he always says that. Uh, you know, certainly the, uh, uh, the, they don't have that kind of big, um, you know, marquee Olympics, uh, type event to, to point to. We've, uh, you know, we, we've seen, uh, you know, so, some of the ratings being down. We, the winter classic ratings weren't great. The all-star ratings, at least in Canada, were, were kind of, kind of fell off a cliff, uh, for the, for the all-star game itself. Some of the, the ratings on the big new TV deal up here in Canada are, uh, are not, uh, what they hoped it would be. Um, you know, but, but beyond that, you know, the, the, they're still, they're looking at expansion. So clearly, uh, you know, we're going to see at least a couple of teams at it. And those teams are going to be, uh, very expensive and put an awful lot of money, uh, directly into the owner's pockets. And, uh, it, you know, you would imagine that if the league was 
in really tough shape that you wouldn't, uh, you know, you wouldn't see that sort of demand. So, uh, uh, you know, I, I'm sure Gary Bettman is, uh, is happy with that and, and his bosses and, you know, the owners are, are very happy with that as well. Uh, it, the, the big concern right now when you look at it is the Canadian dollar and the way that it's kind of tumbling, uh, which has a major impact on, on the league's revenues and what they can, they can claim as far as, uh, as far as their revenues and that impacts the salary cap and, and you run into this question of, is the cap actually going to go up? Could we start seeing a, a flat cap? That's and, and what kind of effect is that going to have? So, um, you know, in a sense, you know, you ask how the league's doing. There, there hasn't been a breakthrough. There's, there's still no breakthrough as far as the NHL uh, sort of pushing out of its its current spot in the uh, in the lineup as far as down in the United States. I mean, in in Canada, the NHL is still number one, probably always will be. Uh, in the United States, it's uh, it's well down the list and doesn't uh, seem to be showing any signs of of making any major moves. But I'm not sure they're doing any worse either. It's it's probably mostly status quo, and in in recent years, status quo seems to seems to work okay for the owners. And you know the the success of a league, this league especially, is often you know not made until we get to playoffs and we see what kind of semis and ultimately finals and and what kind of teams are going to be featured on NBC in the Stanley Cup Finals. And when I look at your top five that you published on Grantland today, I'm, I'm seeing some teams that probably are, are scaring, uh, you know, Tampa Bay and Nashville. And even though St. Louis is a good hockey market, I don't know if it, if it translates as well nationally. It might. Um, we haven't had the chance to see it in a long time, obviously. I mean, they had an unbelievable series last year with Chicago, but not on a, on a cup level. And then I look at your other list and I'm thinking, oh man, they maybe would like to have that team in, like to have that team in. Are they going to be in trouble when you, when you project this thing out and think, oh man, they're going to really need to catch some breaks to get a cup that anyone's going to watch. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they had, uh, obviously they had a dream last, last year, they yeah. got pretty much the ideal matchup. I right. mean, not, not just in the final, but in the, uh, in, even in the semifinals, I mean, you got LA, Chicago, New York, Montreal. It's, it's hard to, uh, you know, it would hard to be you know, be tough to pick a better uh, potential uh, group of matchups than than that. And then obviously to get the New York LA final is uh, is is just the league's dream from a U.S. perspective. Uh, it, I don't think they're going to get that again. There are some of these big market teams that are still in. I mean, I, I didn't I dropped Chicago off my top five today, but I think they're still uh, very much right in the mix. Montreal's there. Uh, um, you know, New York could be there with either the Rangers or, or even the Islanders, which uh, gets you gets you at least a chunk of that market uh, involved. So, you know, there's there's still some some good potential there. But you're right; it would be interesting to see what happens if we go from New York, LA last year to uh, to Tampa Bay, Nashville this year. That that's right. probably uh, uh, not something they're gonna they're gonna be particularly excited about. But you know what? We we live through Tampa Bay, Calgary. We live through Carolina, and I mean, there's. There's probably no worse possible matchup for the league than Carolina Edmonton, and the, you know they managed to get through that. So uh, I, I guess the the good news in a way is they had the dream matchup last year, and it's not like that boosted uh, the sport significantly. I mean, it doesn't doesn't feel like there really was a, a big uh, uh, you know a, a big boost uh, coming out of that. So uh, you know maybe it works the other way. Maybe if they don't get the greatest matchup, uh, maybe it won't won't hurt as much as we might think it would. Uh, Sean McIndoe writes for Grantland. Uh, he's also got DownGoesBrown.com. He's at DownGoesBrown on Twitter. And we got to let him go in a second because he's going to be on the best hockey podcast there is, Merrick versus Wyshynski. So make sure you check out uh, his appearance on there. Last thing before I let you go, and you can just answer this real quick. Uh, you got the clock in front of you so you can take yourself out. Uh, 
I want to ask about Grantland in the sense that I was asking you about hockey and, and how it's doing. and I wonder if you ever try to uh, theorize about this through the eyes of what you write on Grantland and, and how many people come to Grantland to read about hockey as compared to basketball and football and even like the great stuff that uh, uh, David Shoemaker writes about uh, wrestling or all the other great things that you guys can cover on there. How does hockey do? How does the, the hockey stuff that you or Katie Baker, whoever else uh, writes, stand up in that? And, and do you ever look at that to, to kind of get a pulse on how hockey's doing in the United States? I mean, I, I don't look at at the numbers because we don't uh, it, we're we're not given those numbers to look at, which is which is nice. Grantland's one of the few sites out there that isn't uh, constantly pushing its writers to to just squeeze more and more uh, um, eyeballs onto the site. They 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 have made it very clear to us all along that they would much prefer that uh, we did work that we felt was quality work and that we were proud of, and uh, and we'll let them kind of worry about the the numbers on the other side. So I'm sure there's there, there are certainly people in the organization who have access to that. I, I don't. Um, I, you know, I, I'm realistic. Certainly, uh, you know, this is a U.S.-based site. Uh, the, the, the hockey stuff is not going to draw the sort of attention that the NFL does or the NBA or Major League Baseball. The, the, that's certainly the big three. Um, but, uh, and, and uh, I, you know, hockey is uh, more down, uh, you know, like, like you said, with some of the stuff they do as far as the, uh, you know, as far as wrestling, as far as some of the other sports. I know they, they, they've done coverage around tennis and racing and, and uh, any number of other things. Uh, and that's where hockey is, and it, you know it is a niche. Unfortunately, it'd be nice to uh, go back 20 years when it felt like hockey was getting ready to maybe take a take a push at basketball and even become right. a number three sport. And, that popular. Uh, then we cover. decided we decided to start having lockouts every few years instead, and uh, you know, and that's where we are. So it's you know it's a niche, but I will tell you that uh, you know hockey may be a niche sport, but it is a niche sport with some real real passionate fans. I mean, they they are. Uh, I, nobody, there doesn't seem to be anybody out there, uh, who, who has hockey as a third or fourth favorite sport. Uh, everyone who's a hockey fan is a diehard hockey right. fan. And so it's, a, it's a really fun audience to write for. And, uh, you know, I'm sure it doesn't pull the numbers that the NFL does. Um, but, uh, I, I really like the audience. I love interacting with them. And, uh, it's, uh, uh, it, you know, it's a lot of fun to just, uh, you know, go online every day and, uh, and get to talk hockey with, uh, with everyone. All right, Sean, thanks. Say hi to America and Wyshynski for us. Will do. All right, man. All right, I want to thank Brian Curtis and Sean McIndoe from Grantland. For being on the podcast today, really appreciate it. Love both interviews. Uh, don't forget, you can find this week's show and all of our shows on our website, www.sports-casters.com, which I hope by the time you hear this is back up. We've had um, some technical difficulties. Yeah, our domain expired even though we paid for it. So we're in the uh, customer service portion of Do you want to support. explain what that means for them? If for some reason this drags out a few days, um, get the podcast via iTunes or any of that means that it, that shouldn't be an issue. Just actually navigating to the website right now is an issue. I, the domain is just the name itself, right? I so can if we the direct links, yeah. If we were like Katy Perry or somebody like massive and our domain expired like this, Someone we'd have to worry it. about somebody yeah. buying it. Um, I don't think that 
should obviously be an issue because we paid for it too. So right. Uh, but yeah. So right now the name is not accessible. If you go there, you'll see like a, a expired link. Like you'll get a not working type screen. But I assure everything is there and it will be back up the second they flip a switch or whatever they do on their end. Uh, you can email us, the sportscasters, the sportscasters at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at sports underscore casters and at Donlick Sports. Uh, one last thing today uh, on Thursday, Mark, the end of, in my opinion, the greatest television drama about family and love kind of ever told. Uh, NBC's Parenthood had its 103rd and final episode. And if you're someone who hasn't had the chance to see the show, uh, I really recommend it with my highest level of recommendation. Uh, The Bravermans uh, take you on a really uh, sometimes sad, sometimes difficult, uh, sometimes rewarding, sometimes exciting journey. Uh, a story that we might never necessarily seen told on network television again. Uh, the landscape of television is obviously changing. And you know what's great about uh, Parenthood was sometimes some of the topics uh, could have – that they dealt with, whether it be Max Braverman's autism, Christina Braverman's bout and near death. Uh, from breast cancer. These aren't necessarily spoilers. Uh, the transitioning from one generation to the next in a family. Uh, things that maybe have been told in other ways and can come off cliche or done the same. They really did a great way of kind of not falling into those traps and really just telling really beautiful stories about uh, things sometimes as simple as family and love. And uh, it's maybe not that macho or cool to say that, but it's an unbelievable piece of television drama. I'm so glad that I watched it. The first five seasons of it are on Netflix. The sixth season just ended, and I'm sure we'll be on there. it'll be on there by the time you finish the first five if you haven't watched it yet. I give it my highest recommendation. It's an unbelievable show, the acting, the writing. Uh, everything about it is great, and uh, it, it truly is a show that you need to watch occasionally uh, with tissues. Um, this is Dax Shepard's show, right? The it is. Dax Shepard I like Dax Shepard a lot. I've never Crosby seen the show. Braverman. Okay, I've never seen the show. but I- And it's a wonderful show if you're a guy like Don looking to find something to watch with a wife. There you go. And so often you find yourself, I found myself afterwards, talking to my wife about these really practical real life things that the Bravermans have encountered and sort of what would we do if we were in that position Hmm. and what about the way they handled that or this. And uh, it's just a very real show that if anyone wanted me to explain what it was about in one word, I would debate between family and love because that's what the show is about, either family or love uh, either way. But it's a, it's a great show. And uh, if you haven't watched it, I think you should. Now this doesn't, you calling it great? I mean, that it was fair. It's pretty well received show. Too, yeah, right? I mean, yeah. Steppenwall, uh, who I think is one of the most revered television critics there is, gave it a great final review. Yeah, I'll have to check it out. Um, 
So I don't think I'm the only one who thinks it's great. I think it's one of those weird things where I don't, other than you, I'm not sure I know anyone that watches it. It's kind of like when I stopped watching wrestling, I assumed it died. Like, because, but. I mean, it's not, it certainly doesn't get lost or Walking Dead type ratings. Sure. I mean, that's one of the reasons why it's over. Not because it had abysmal ratings, but because the ratings it got and the size, the ensemble cast and the cost to make the show, I guess, just didn't end up being beneficial anymore for NBC. But I uh, promise you that it's it's a great, great television show. Yeah, I'll have to check it out, especially because, like you said, I can watch it with the wife. It's not always always easy. Um, My last thing this week, I'm not going to bash a guy that was on the podcast – when he's not here, it happened to be an interview. Most interviews are done when I'm not here. I know Steve is very generous during the interviews to say like, Oh, we like to know that like, like I'm there. I, not that I think he's fooling anybody, but he always speaks of us in a context of us. But, uh, Mike Harrington was on the podcast and he talked about, uh, the embarrassment that is tanking. Um, and he, he will say on Twitter, this is a little bit local, so if you don't care about the Sabres, you could skip this part, and this is the end of the podcast. But uh, he says a lot that a fan should never have to root for his team to be bad. Um, I agree with that to an extent. I made bullet points for, the, for this, but I think I lost him in between the podcast being gone. I remember watching, I believe it was the Penguins win the Stanley Cup and being pissed about it. And I'm like, this sucks. In this league, you have to be terrible you have to have what is it like five years of top three picks to win uh and it just sucks that it works that way this don't it seems to be the only sport that really works that way maybe basketball to an extent but this this league sucks i'm pissed my team tries to win and we finish in eighth then you got to struggle through the playoffs blah 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 uh chicago did the same thing now Mike will point out that these teams didn't intentionally tank, and that's true, but they didn't try until they were had these players either. And in my opinion, I'd rather have a team that intentionally tanks and just happens to be at the bottom. I want the guarantee that I'm going to get that first overall pick. Sort of what you mean is Chicago doesn't go and add Patrick Sharp until they have Jonathan Taves and exactly. Patrick Kane. Exactly. They right. didn't try until they had those players. Uh, they were a team that had players – giving tickets away on the street in years before that because their GM was so bad and nobody cared about the team. So to say that both franchises were dead before these Which is why there's all the conspiracy theories about Crosby going to Pittsburgh and how he saved the team and built them a stadium and all, all this stuff. I think that stuff sucks. So I think this year as a Sabres fan sucks. Um, I'm having fun with the idea that it's almost over and it's hard to watch games and want them to lose. They lost a pretty bad one the other day. I can't remember to who, but I was watching the game and it's, it was like almost sad. It's like, man, I don't hate these players, but like, this is, it's, it's beyond embarrassing at this point. But for me to want my team to have the best chance to win in the future is not embarrassing. It's not, uh, I wasn't brainwashed into thinking that, which Mike likes to suggest. Now, I think, and Mike wouldn't admit this, but I think Mike is purposely inflammatory on Twitter. Also. Trolling a little bit. He's trolling a little bit to get clicks. Like, I don't, I don't want to go as far to say clickbait or whatever. He's a smart guy. He's got good hockey opinions. but he's He maybe 
unintentionally created a persona. Yes. His initial opinion about this evolved into a persona that he has embraced and is using for the betterment of the newspaper he represents. Absolutely. Yes. And the problem I have with that and the guy I don't see talking about this is someone like Jerry Sullivan, his colleague at the Buffalo News, who used to bash the team and bash fans for the team's heroic run to eighth, he would call it. Because the team went in 10th place before the playoffs would make a trade to try to get better for the short term. And Sullivan would blast them for that. Uh, And the Sabres just didn't do that this year. They didn't middle it. They decided we're going to sell off our parts. We're not going to go on a spending spree. The, The spending they did was reasonable contracts to older guys to hopefully weather this storm because of, I don't know, culture. A lot of hockey guys believe in culture. I don't happen to believe in culture either, which is another point Harrington will make is, are these kids going to be ruined when the time comes to win? Was Chicago ruined when it was time to win? Was uh, Sid Crosby ruined because he came into a garbage team the first year? No. I want the best chance at the best players. And if this was any other year where there was only one player at the top of the draft, I might be totally on board with him. I'm not shitting away a season for a 20% chance at the best player. But there's two phenomenal Shitting players. Shitting away the season for a 100% chance at, at one, one of two. those two. Right. What, the, what they should look at it is we have an 80% chance at Jack Eichel, which is exciting to me. We've got a, a U.S.-born kid. Like I was talking to my wife. That will be the best-selling jersey in the NHL before he steps on the ice in a Sabres uniform. It'll be the best-selling jersey in the NHL. So I don't want to – and my last point is, Mike, to a fault – like a lot of people. So this just isn't him, but this is reporters. And it's like something they have to say, I feel like, because it's impossible. Human nature dictates that if you cover a team, you're going to find guys that you like and want to see do well and all that. But Mike will do backflips to tell you he's not a fan. So for him to tell fans how they should feel and how they should cheer, I just think it's, he's either is a fan and doesn't like it, or he should just accept his position as not a fan and not, tell people how they should cheer now in november if you want to look back in our archives mike did come on the show and very enthusiastically debated me for about a half an hour right and that's why i said i didn't want to bash him he was nice enough to do the show he hasn't wavered from his point it's not like he's changing his stance i don't expect him to change his stance when jack eichel's in a sabers uniform tearing it up i expect him to be like i didn't like the way i'm glad he's here but i didn't like the way they did it i and i agree with that to a point, but I only brought it up to say, check it out if you haven't. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's there in the archives in November. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I, t- check it out if you haven't. I consider myself a guy that can look at both sides of things and be smart enough to make an informed decision. Uh, and I'm fine with it. And like I said, it's almost just, re- I'm, I'm kind of feeding the trolls in responding to it. Cause I know he's trolling by calling people brainwashed, but this is it for me. Like this season's been tough as a Sabres fan. It's starting to get fun because it looks like they're going to have this locked up and I'm excited for the draft and to see how GMTM rebuilds, but I don't have patience for this for another year. And, but being a guy that's watched them finish a so many years, I don't know how to finish this, I guess. (laughs) Uh, I'm ready for my team to be good and I'm ready for them to be good for a long time. And I'm ready for them to not be so close and then give players away. Uh, I'm, 
I'm and I'm willing to deal with suffering. Darcy Regeer's word for one year to give myself the best odds of not having to suffer for a long time. What is evil? What is evil?